Okay, as long as it works when it goes live, because it's yeah. live, you're not recording. Nope. No. Okay. We're ready to go. We're ready to go. All right. Uh, good. I don't want to say evening yet, but I guess pretty much good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode 42 of the Table Talk podcast. Uh, we are happy to have you guys all with us today. Uh, we have a great show for you today. Uh, I'm going to introduce everybody right quick. You know, you got little sis co-host of the show, Sada Thabit in the building. Of course, you got big sis, Ibi Thabit. And then we have our guest today. For those of you that already know him, you probably should know him. He's been traveling all across the world. He's a comedian. He's a law professor and a writer. For those that did not know that, I didn't know he was doing all those extra stuff as well. You know, in the building today, we have Ahmed Zah. Did I say that right? Pretty good. Pretty Zahid. Good. Zahid. Zahid. Yeah, pretty all right. good. Ahmed Zahid, right Thanks, here. Man. Thanks, I'm like the only Yemeni person that I know that has a problem pronouncing Yemeni or Arabic, Arabic names. All names, to be honest with you. So, all yeah. names. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but I definitely need to work on that. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we have a show for you today. We're going to get to know Ahmed today and hear everything about his career, his journey, learn about it. But before we do that, we got to give a shout out to our sponsors for today. We got two of them. The first one is the Balkan House Restaurant in Hemtramck. They are famous for their donut kebab sandwich. They serve breakfast. All their food is halal. Service is A1. Always giving back to the community. Their location is 3028 Kniff Street, Hemtramck, Michigan. They also have a Ferndale location, 314 West Namal Road, Ferndale, Michigan. Their number is 313-262-6234. Like I said, they are a gold sponsor, so they sponsor all of our shows today. So shout out to the Balkan House Restaurants and everybody over there. Juma, Hassan, you know, even Hamza from from the the, uh, Movement Podcast is from there as well. Now, with that said, before we introduce Ahmed, uh, we got to make sure that we do it the right way. And for those that don't know, you know, in our communities, whenever we're together... You know, you know, you just automatically like become part of a family. You know, basically, if you are sitting at a table with one another, even if you're strangers, you just automatically become part of a family. And then next thing you know, while you're at a table together, you got this. You know, random stuff might start happening. All right, and that right there is all right. We got a birthday. All right, and we just want to make sure we do this correctly. I'll imagine. All right, there you go. Yes, you know we have to make sure we start them off like that. Uh, first, how are you, man? Uh, Good, wonderful, you man. Good to see yourself. you guys. Very happy to be here. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. And a shout out. We gotta give a shout out to right, Mr. Iman Ahmed, helped us out. Uh, got, got us connected with uh, Mr. Ahmed over here, and You're so yeah, we appreciate her, and we appreciate you, man, coming on the show. Obviously, uh, busy guy, busy man, doesn't have to be here, but he is here today, so we appreciate it. You want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, and for the people but that before are watching. He, before you introduce, the, um, the reason why we did the, the birthday thing is that that was one of his famous jokes. That was the joke that I kind of knew you from, so yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's quick. this thing, you know, we live in Dearborn here, the Arab uh, Disneyland. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's the only place in the world, you become part of people's lives. You know, it's the only place in the world where you're sitting at a cafe on a Tuesday night, and all of a sudden you become part of a birthday party you weren't invited to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, this is how much we love each other, you know, it was how much we want. We were doing all this, this, the happy birthday thing is like proof. Like, we were doing the Instagram thing before there was an Instagram thing. Like, when you want everybody to know about your life, like, that, we've been doing that kind of stuff for a long time. Sure. So, uh, you know, that's our culture. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm a professor. I've been doing comedy since about 2004 or so. Uh, started in law school. Um, I was at law school at the University of Michigan. Uh, I grew up in Philly. Well, I was born in Jordan. Grew up in Philly. Then came to Michigan when I was 18 to go to college at the University of Michigan. And then I went there for uh, my bachelor's degree and my master's degree and my law degree. And uh, ended up staying here. So ended up living in Dearborn after Ann Arbor. And, um, you know, because I always wanted to I always wanted to live here. Like, I came to Dearborn on purpose. Like, I wanted to live here and be around our people, you know, because uh, I didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up with all of our people. So I wanted to be, always be around our people. And then, of course, I came to Dearborn, which is, like, not just the Arab capital, but, like, the Yemeni and Lebanese capital of uh, of the world too so i'm very very lucky to live here and i'm very happy definitely definitely and speaking of that uh you know for those that don't know he's also like very passionate about the stuff that is happening in the arab world uh you are always speaking at protests standing up for the arab people you know why is this the case and you can even maybe expand on why did you say you wanted to live specifically in this area as well well, I mean, I'm Palestinian, so I've always been an activist, you know, we just, that's the way we're raised, you know, we're raised to be like professional protesters from a young age. And so uh, we Arabs, 
are, especially in the last 100 years in America and in the world, we're in the middle of a struggle for our rights, whether they're in America, for our lives, whether they're in our own countries, which is also affected by a lot of what happens in America. So, um, you know, I'm a comedian, but I'm an activist. And comedy is like my tool to uh, tell our story, whether it's about Arab Americans or Palestine or whatever. So, you know, th that's why I'm, you know, being involved in our issues politically and socially is just natural for me. It's what I do on stage anyway. You know, so whether it's a rally for Palestine or a rally for Yemen, you know, I'm out there. I mean, there was a there was a rally for Yemen like in February. It was like five degrees. Yeah. You remember that? You were yeah. there. I was there. Were you yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. I didn't remember. I don't remember anything because yeah, it was five like, degrees. It was freezing. <laughs> it was my, freezing. my toes were like, I couldn't feel my toes for like at least an hour oh, after. Right. Yeah, but, but like, but no matter what it is, we got to go out there. You know, we got to go out there. We got to show up for our people because I mean, we live here and, uh, you know, I never say that we're lucky to live here. I mean, America's lucky to have us, frankly, but uh, we live here and uh, we have a uh, you know, sometimes the easier life than our people back home, so we have to stand up for them no matter where they are. And Yemenis are the original Arabs, so we're going to stand up for anybody. We're all Yemeni, eventually, somehow, if you go back far enough. You know like those, those ancestry tests? Yeah. You know like white people do those ancestry Yemeni. tests because they forgot where they're from? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, if you, if you, thank you, yeah. Yemeni tea on the Yemeni podcast. I yes. Love it. Um, you know, white people do these ancestry tests because they forgot where they're from, you know, um, and they just want to be something, you know. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Ancestry.com, 23andMe, whatever the stuff. Are we allowed to curse on this point? No. Hey, whatever you want. Okay, whatever so, you um, want. it was just eight, so, you know. So, uh, so uh, uh, they do these ancestry tests, you know, because they, they forgot. You know, white people forgot where they're from, so they have to figure it out. So we, um, but we didn't forget. Arabs, we didn't forget. But we know that we're all Yemeni. I mean, we might have been hit by a lot of different cultures, but if you go back into our... Ancestry tests are not that, I wouldn't encourage anybody to do them, okay? Because they don't really tell you what your race is. They just tell you, like, you related to? Like, to that they tell you who slept with who a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. it's a white okay? test. That's, yeah. re that's really all it does. Yeah. But definitely some Yemeni person slept with all our ancestors a long time ago. <laughs> so we're a little Yemeni. All of us are a little Yemeni. That's why we speak Arabic is because of Yemen. So uh, Yemenis are our brothers and sisters as Arabs, not only our brothers and sisters, the first original Arabs. So we have to stand up for them as much as we stand up for anybody else. We appreciate that, and like like I mentioned earlier, like he's not just at the protest in the back waving a sign. Like he's speaking. If I, if I remember correctly, yeah, if I remember correctly, you were, you host a lot of these uh, events as well. Uh, they get you to come and host, and she said charity events. We were at that event that you were at during Ramadan. Um, I promise, really. Yeah, but we actually ended up leaving early. But people were telling me that you know you ended up. Everybody, you know, killing it. Everybody was cracking up and all that stuff. And I was like, man, I'm mad that we missed that. You know, I didn't even know you was coming. You know, uh, but honestly, we and, and we appreciate it. You know, the community appreciates it. Seeing somebody like you, and I think because it's tough and it's not easy because, especially like the younger generation and people, you know, it's not easy to stand up for what you believe in when you have a following like you do. Um, and especially when what you stand up for what you believe in is kind of against the norm right you know being out of being you know from palestine being from yemen whatever it is it's hard you know there's a lot of stuff that you're going up against so like i think you know i guess my question to you is like what makes you feel like that you know it doesn't matter like i'm going to use my platform for what i believe is right because there's a lot of people that shy away from that stuff because they don't want to get that public you know yeah be a part of that controversy like i guess what makes you feel like like you know what i'm still going to do this this is me well, look, I mean, it definitely ain't easy being one of us in America, whether you're Arab or Muslim or if you're both. Um, but I also believe that uh, it's the most beautiful thing in the world, being one of us. I think we're very lucky to be part of our culture. It's a beautiful, beautiful communal culture. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, especially if you live in Dearborn. You know all these Arabs everywhere. Now it means you don't have any privacy. Everybody's in everybody is in everybody's business. But it also means that you'll be taken care of in times of trouble. So you know if you don't have you know if 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 Abir needs to go down to the grocery store and she don't have money that week for the groceries, you know 
Abu Hassan will give her groceries because he knows her family. Now, everyone in the neighborhood will know that Abir was broke and she didn't afford her groceries. <laughs> but she won't be hungry, okay? She won't be hungry. So, you know, we have that beautiful communal thing. That's why I make fun of, on stage, I say, you know, whenever, whenever like a crazy white person does something like a mass shooting and it's always a white guy, it's never one of us, you know, it's always a white guy. And then, you know, his neighbors are always like, we're so shocked by this. This is such a surprise to us. Because they don't know. That would never happen in one of our <laughs> neighborhoods, okay? Like if some crazy Arab guy does something in one of our neighborhoods, we go, talk, go talk to the neighbors. No, we are not surprised. <laughs> Mustafa has been talking about doing this for like three years now. We are surprised it took this long before he did it. You know, so I mean, but that also means that you're always taking care of people, look out for you, people watch out for you. You know, um, this is a beautiful thing about our culture. I always say the difference between white culture and our culture is like, you know, it, okay, in our in white culture, if you have a drug problem, your parents try to help you. Then, if their help doesn't work, they eventually say to you, "Get out of my house. You're messing up my life. Get out of my house." If you're Arab and you have a drug problem, your parents try to help you. But then, if their help doesn't work, their solution is, "You're never leaving this house. You don't get to go anywhere." Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure either of those are like wonderful, perfect <laughs> solutions, but. One means you might end up in a crack house dead and nobody knows about you. And the other one just means you don't get to go anywhere anymore. Yeah. Okay? So um, our culture, I think, is a beautiful, beautiful culture that takes care of each other. Um, and so that is something worth protecting. And, and I believe the attacks on us you know, around the world, whether they happen here, whether they happen in our homelands, are also an attack on our culture. And we have an old, beautiful culture, thousands of years, existed before Islam you know, in the Arab world. I mean, people were speaking Arabic in Palestine and Jordan and Yemen and the Arabian Peninsula before Islam. So this old Arab culture is beautiful and we have to make sure that we preserve it um, because there's been hundreds of people for hundreds of years preserving it before we ever got here. Mm -hmm. So we have a real legacy and a real responsibility. So whether you do it through humor, whether you do it through a podcast, whether you do it through a demonstration, it's important for people to know that we're proud of who we are. That's why I don't like it when I hear young people saying like a, a, or Middle Eastern, I hate this word, Middle East. You know Middle East. You, you got to be east of something. Yeah. It means east of white people. That's what it means. Middle East. Yeah. You know? Um, stop it. All these people out there say, and when they say, now they say like Swana, Southwest Asian, North Africa. Like, shut up. Just, just no. say Arab, bro. Okay, just say Arab. We're Arab. It's a beautiful word. It's not a dirty word. You don't got to hide away from it. And, you know, that's why Yemenis are my favorite people, because they don't give their kids white names. Okay? Hey, look, Lebanese and Syrian do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We watched that clip. Uh, it was hilarious. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lebanese, Syrian, sometimes they'll be like, you know, this is my daughter, Samantha. This is my daughter, Angela. Okay, but her name is like Samantha Tofik Abdul Rahim. You know, it's not going to help. They think it's going to help her. It's not going to help her. But Yemenis, Yemenis don't do that. Yeah. My, my name, I've had trouble with my name for years. A beer? Yeah. yeah. So, a beer? I got it. No, it's, I, I, I got to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to explain it. I like how Sada explained you know, it. <laughs> it. It took me, when I was younger, I used to have a nickname instead of my name. Like, what I was, was a little bit embarrassed. What? April. It's a long story. Oh, you mean like it's you let people call you April? Yeah. Yeah, you no, know? I mean, I get so, it. When you're young, it it can be, it, I get it. But I mean, you know, look, having a weird name means you're from somewhere. 100%. It means that you have a No, heritage. now I am. Now I actually say yeah. Abid instead yeah. of a beer. Like, I yeah. say my name is Abid, you know? But when I was younger, it's no, I get hard. it. It can be traumatic, but I mean, mm -hmm. hey, you know, we deal with it, and we come, we come out stronger on the other side. Imagine if your name was Samantha, you might not be as proud of your culture. I mean, for all the Arabs out there named Samantha, whatever. I mean, I hope you're proud of your culture, but <laughs> you know, but Yemenis, that's why Yemenis. I love Yemenis because they don't do that. I mean, you go down, you find a little six-year-old Yemeni kid somewhere, and be like, "What's your name?" <laughs> you're like, damn, you are going to be proud of your culture. Name. Oh, like seven yeah. generations. Yes. He's going to be proud of his culture. 100%. He might never get a job, but <laughs> he'll be very proud of his culture. You know, it's funny that we're on this topic, right? So, uh, believe it or not, I, you're, you're, you know, it's probably going to go past you. So, it was Ramadan. Yeah. We're at Malika Kebab. All right? And I, 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 yes. Okay. I ain't I really, you know, I was looking that way. Buddy of ours was looking this way. He's sitting next to me, and then the buddy of ours, just shows you the kind of guy that he is. I'm gonna be honest with you, especially like right before, you know, football, like, I'm, you know, don't wanna be bothered, right? You know what I'm saying? It was that that time, too. And then, uh, you know, he was like, hey, uh, I'm, you know, the guy said it, the guy we were sitting next to, and I turned around, you know, and you stopped and talked to us, and then you had him introduce himself. And then he was saying it kind of quietly. 
You know, you're like Ramzi, and then like you're like what, and you're like Ramzi, and I think you had to he had to say it three times for you to actually know, and then we kind of gave him that speech about being proud, say your name proudly, yeah. uh, and you know we sat there and spoke for five minutes, and just kind of shows you, bro. First, he you know cracked a couple jokes, and then you know kind of gave him a nice little lesson. And I just told him about it right now. He's like, was that really him? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, well, okay. Ramzi is a beautiful name. I mean, Ramzi, do you know what your name means? <laughs> no, they no. still haven't told you what it means? That's your son? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you listen, say he's named after listen, King Ramsey? Listen, I'm messing around right okay. now. So, listen. So, during the situation about his name, I wanted to name him Nur. Okay. Okay? And his father wanted to name him Rami. And I was like, no, that's too girly. Rami, like Rami to me is a girly. We're just smacking on people. Yeah, except, right except, except that Rami is a boy's name in Arabic. I know, language. yeah. I was like, it's just Rami. Like, it just sounds girly. I wanted him to have like a, you know. Okay, for all the Rami's out there, we're sorry. So you threw a Z in the middle of it. And then my mom was like, well, why don't you do Ramzi? I'm like, well, Ramzi would be easy to say in English. I was young. I was very, very young. Oh, yeah, you're young. So I was like, Ramzi, who won't have the trouble that I had growing up. You know, I was like, yep, it'll be the Rami's name. But what does it mean, Ramzi? I always thought. Well, you don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Ramzi. Okay, Rams in Arabic means like a symbol. So yeah. Ramzi means like symbolic. It's like a symbol. It's something that is symbolic. You would call it Ramzi. Yeah, I thought Rams was like a password, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's what it means too. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I know that it definitely means symbol. Okay. Something Ram Rams is a symbol. Okay. So Ramzi means like something symbolic. You know, I'm, I'm like pretty sure about that. What's happy it is like a scent or something? Uh, yeah, or the, the bud of a flower. The bud, yeah, sorry, the bud of yes. a flower. You got people laughing right now. A couple of your jokes so far, just yeah. they're cracking up. Uh, let's keep it rolling. You know, obviously chime in when you can or when you want. Uh, moving on to the next one is this is a Yemeni show where the women are allowed to talk, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. yeah. We just want to make sure. You can see us as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I wasn't gonna make that joke, but it's yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hey, uh, that's another joke that I that's right. that I know. <laughs> uh, law professor. Yeah. What's going on with that? You know, you know, many people may not know about that, but you are a law professor. Where, like, you know, where do you think? Sides of the yeah, I feel like law professor. Law like well, I mean, you know, I don't think it's really that opposite. So, like in the law, what we learn, we learn about the law through stories. We call them cases. You know, we go through cases, but a case is a story. Something happens to somebody, then there's a dispute, and society tries to figure it out. Okay. And um, that's storytelling. Now, Arabs are big into storytelling, too. And so, and comedians are big into storytelling. So it's not really that different. You know, this, the, the, the things that you're learning and going through are not that different between law and comedy. Um, and law is trying, one of the things we teach people in law school is how to take a complex situation and boil it down to the really important elements and then explain that to somebody. And that's what comedy does. Comedy, we're trying to take big, complex situations and boil it down and then explain it through humor, okay? Um, so they're not they're not that different. And so I teach now at a law school. I never practiced law. I started doing comedy right out of law school, but a lot of the comedy I did was based around uh, Arab-American civil rights about how we're declared white under American law. So you three Yemenis are white yep. under American law and how that happened. So the, the, the class that I teach is about how that happened. And so I'll give you in two minutes the first like hour lecture that I give, but I'll condense it down to do this. All right, uh, America, as you might know, as you might have learned, has a little bit of a racist history. Part one. Just a little. Just have you just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so white people came to this country. Okay. They came to this country, by the way, because they felt they were being religiously persecuted in their European homeland, and they came here because they believed God promised it to them. Sound a little familiar? Yeah. Okay, kind of happened in Palestine, too. Yeah. So they came here in the 1600s. They got here in 1609. They immediately started enslaving black people like right away. Um, they stole the, the land from the natives, genocided a lot of them. Um, and then uh, they wrote a Declaration of Independence 160 years later that said all men are created equal. Wink, wink. Okay, they didn't really mean it. Yeah. And then they created a constitution. Then they had to create, were all of you born in America? Yes. Okay, but your parents weren't? No. Okay, so they became citizens under a uh, process called naturalization. That's how you become a citizen in America. So in 1790, they wrote a naturalization act. And they said, they laid out the rules as to how somebody can become a citizen. Okay, and they said that in order to become a citizen in America, among other things, one of the requirements was you have to be white. Those were the rules. That was the law. 
1790, and that remained the law from 1790 until 1952. So from 1790 until 1952, one of the requirements for American citizenship was whiteness. They didn't define what white meant, but they said he had to be white. All right. Now, that wasn't a big deal in the beginning. There were just white people, black people, and natives who they stole their land, so it was easy to tell the difference. But then people started showing up on big boats around 1880-1890. And uh, when you showed up and you wanted to become naturalized after a few years in America, you had to go to the immigration office and you had to prove that you fulfilled the requirements, one of them which was white. So an Italian guy showed up, said, hey, I'm white. They said, sure, no problem. Uh, Irish guy showed up, said, hey, I'm white. They said, no problem. Uh, a Japanese guy showed up, said, hey, look at my skin, I'm white. They said, no, we don't mean you. Okay, Chinese guy tried the same thing. An uh, Indian guy from India showed up and said, hey, I'm Caucasian technically. They said, no, we don't mean you. Then Arabs started showing up, okay? And back then, over 100 years ago, all the Arabs that were coming were from uh, what we would call now Shem, okay? So Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, and they called it all Syria at that time. And about 95% of those early Arab immigrants were Christian. Because remember, there's Arab Christians because... Jesus is one of us, okay? He came from where we come from. He's not from Texas. He's not from South Carolina. He didn't look like Brad Pitt. He looked like DJ Khaled minus 100 pounds, basically, is what Jesus looked like, okay? He looked like one of us. So um, one guy came to Lebanon from Lebanon. His name was George Shishem. That was his name, in California, all right? Now, America also believes very strongly that it's a Christian country. Not just a white country. It believes that it's a Christian country, okay? Even though the white people that are here are not from here, and Christianity's not from here, but it believes it's a white Christian country. So this George guy wanted to become naturalized in California, and he showed up to the immigration office, and they said to him, where are you from? He said, I'm from California. They said, no, where are you from from? And he said, oh, I'm from from Lebanon. And they looked at Lebanon on the map, and they said, oh, that's where all those brown people are. That, I can hear your phone vibrating. It's not me. Whose phone is vibrating? Just take it off the table. That's all. Take it off the table. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, sorry. I mean, if I can hear no, it. No, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so, um. They, they took him into the office, said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Lebanon. They looked at that on the map, and they said, well, that's where all those brown people and Mohammedans, that's what they used to call those back then, Mohammedans are from. So they denied his citizenship. But uh, if you ever met an Arab, they're never happy with like the first answer. They always want to like talk to the manager in the restaurant or something. So George got in front of the judge, okay? And George stands in front of the judge, and the judge says to him, okay, George, make your case. And uh, George, now you have to imagine this, it's 1910, this Lebanese guy, voter, stands up in a court in California, and he says... Literally a voter, because they came on a boat. Literally a voter, yeah. And he says, uh, judge? <laughs> judge? Mr. Judge? He said, I am from where Jesus is from. And if you say, that I am not white, then you are saying, Jesus is not white. And this white judge looked at George and he said to him, amen. <laughs> and he stamped his naturalization papers. And that's the first evidence we have of an Arab becoming white, all because this white judge wanted Jesus to be white. Okay, they've wanted Jesus to be white a long time. They So basically they wanted Jesus to be white so bad that they made us white when they didn't think we were white, okay? Yeah. And um, it stayed like this. a true story, by the way. 100% true story. And it stayed like this. His name was George Shishim. S-H-I-S-H-I-M. Look him up. Google him. And they, uh, and that remained our classification till today, okay? All because they wanted Jesus to be white. Because if you remember, if you if you notice also, it's another thing that pisses me off, especially as a Palestinian, okay? Because I'm from where Jesus is from, okay? I'm actually from the city of Nazareth, Palestine, which is the exact city that Jesus is from. Um, every Christmas, every Easter, they have all these specials on TV, A&E or Discovery Channel, or or they do these new CNN has, they, what did Jesus look like? You know, with their big mystery, what did Jesus do? All right. Now, this pisses me off for a few reasons. First of all, have you ever heard of Confucius? Yes. Okay, Confucius was a Chinese philosopher. He lived 500 years before Jesus. Nobody has a debate about what Confucius looked like. There's people in China, you look at them, and that's what Jesus looked like, or that's what Confucius looked like. Buddha, you've heard of Buddha, right? Buddha lived 500 years before Jesus. The Buddha's a fat Indian guy. You go look at India, you see what Indian people look like, that's what Buddha looked like. But they say, what did Jesus, 
There are people living in Palestine that have been living there since Jesus was living there. It's not a mystery. You can just go and look at them, all right? That's what Jesus looked like. But they've just done this thing where they, they need to make Jesus mysterious in order to make him white, okay? Yeah. And then they wanted him to be white so bad that they made you, okay, can everybody take a good look at Omar on the YouTube right now, okay? They made this dude white all because they wanted Jesus to be white, okay? This is the messed up world that we live in in America. And since we're white, what happens? Uh, we we're obviously don't get the white privilege that comes with being white, okay? And we don't get the benefits that come with being a minority. So when we sue, it becomes harder to sue under discrimination statutes. When we wanna get our rights for minority rights or affirmative action becomes much more difficult if not impossible. So there's real life legal implications to this. That's what I teach. I teach the history of how that happened and the problems that arise from it. Um, because as you might know, America has a little bit of a racist history. So. There you go. So. Definitely, definitely. People pay $10,000 a semester for what I just taught you. Yeah, we appreciate it. In Thank you. three, four minutes. You're welcome. You, uh, and whenever you're done with that. I, I was going to say, I want to say something. I'm sorry. And I was going to say, where is You don't have to say you're sorry. This is America. Yeah. You do not have to apologize to your male guardians. Yeah. I mean, this is not Yemen. This is America. You can speak up for yourself. Don't to, you don't know how to say I'm sorry. Anyone. You are allowed to talk. This is America. Oh, sorry. That was, my, that was my white guy coming out. You know, um, you know how growing up, we were considered white. Um, you still are. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. So, but did you grow up in Europe? Did you guys grow up in Europe? Where did you grow up? We grew up in Detroit. Right? The, okay, yeah. yeah. And then, so now in the school system, a lot of the students that are out of are considered they're under Asian, so they can get their like uh, for bilingual sure. purposes, which is, I think is really weird too. Because I'm like, I've always been white when I, you know, when I was in school, I was yeah. always I would check off the white. But they have the kids checking off Asian now. Yeah, but I mean, if the federal government finds out about that, they're going to. Put that school in trouble because white is defined under the uh, you know, uh, federal guidelines as people originating from Europe, Middle East, and North Africa, and so <clears throat> all because they because they know Jesus from there. And so if they find out, Asia, even though technically, obviously, we're in Asia, they don't mean us when they say Asia. So uh, uh, well, that's why we need to fight for our own box because no other box really fits us, and uh, we need to fight for our, for our own thing. And so and other um, doesn't cut it. Well, even if you put other and you write in Yemen, the United States government reclassifies you as white. white. And that's what Monat Maori, shout out to Monat, definitely another person that always looks out for us with guests. Her sister said, uh, said what, came on the show a couple of times, said, I mean, I filled in Yemeni under other on the census. After I watched the census video you made, we are not white. Yeah. So she wanted to make sure she threw that out there. Then we have somebody else ask a question, but I want you to continue on with that. No, I'm done. Are you done with that? What's the other question? Uh, the other question is, uh, they said, ask you about uh, what kind of oppression did you see when you were in Palestine? Um, when you visited Palestine recently, if I'm correct, uh, well, you know, did you see any oppression, any things that were like not right? Anything you want to share? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, as a Palestinian, you know, we, we don't visit Palestine. We return to Palestine because we're all going home one day. That's our home. They kicked us out. They stole yeah. our land. They don't let us come back. So we're going to go back one day. Um, and I returned to Palestine. Before COVID, it was like two or three times a year. Um, after COVID, I only went last year, and I'm going again in August, but I went last year in June during all the stuff that was happening in Jerusalem with Sheikh Jarrah and the families that were getting kicked out of their houses and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Israel, you know, if we say America is sort of like a, a society that has gotten past um, sort of like formalized racism and now the racism is a little bit more hidden, but it's still there, the Israeli society is still like America 100 years ago, very openly racist, Jews can be here, uh, Arabs can't be here, I mean, it's very, very, very open. And so that kind of oppression, you see it on a daily basis, when you see the way they treat us in checkpoints or uh, uh, at the border crossings, it's openly, openly racist. Um, this is why I encourage people to go so that you can see what it's like and so that when you're there, you can show solidarity with the Palestinian people when you're there. Um, along with going to Jerusalem and seeing all the beautiful history and uh, the significance that Palestine holds. But you see it in front of your face, you know, um, and you see the, the but, but what you also see, which is more important, is the dedication of the Palestinian people that, you know, we're not going anywhere. And we're going to be very clear about staying here and this is our land. You know, it's funny, I met a, I met a, I always say the Israelis don't understand us. 
They've been trying the same thing for like 73 years to get rid of us. It's not working. Uh, our birth rate is like triple the global average, okay? So you can't get rid of us, okay? I mean, you know, uh, a year ago in Gaza, the hospitals were full of martyrs from the war. Nine months after that, they were quadruply full of babies, mothers having babies, because we love each other very much, okay? We will outlove you if necessary, okay? Um, and they don't understand how connected we are to our history and to our land. You know, I was in Palestine. Palestinians also get very educated, you know. So I was in Palestine a few, this is like five years ago, and I was hanging out with a guy in Ramallah, and I said to him, um, you know, tell me about yourself. He says, well, I have a PhD in computer science from England. I was like, wow, man, that's awesome. I'm proud of you. Yeah. I said, what do you do? He says, I have a cafe in downtown Ramallah. Yeah. I said, man, well, well, why? He says, well, I can't find a job in my in my line of work here. I said, yeah, but you have a PhD in computer science. You could live anywhere in the world, probably, and make money and do very well for yourself. And he said to me, Amir, we will never leave our homeland and we will fight for our freedom. I said, oh, okay, ma'am. First, calm down. <laughs> okay. Second of all, okay, fine. And what will you do when you have your freedom? He says, when I have my freedom, I will leave. Okay, yeah. so, you know, this is what they don't understand about it. As long as you're trying to tell us that that's not where we belong and you don't give us our freedom, guess what? We're going to stay, you know, uh, freedom of movement comes with freedom of return. You know, when you know you can return, okay, then maybe you'll go somewhere. So this is what they don't understand. They don't understand that we will sacrifice the material things in life. You know, they don't understand that every Palestinian who lives in America would trade places in a second with that kid that lives in Gaza that's living under in a bomb shelter. I'm sure you too, as Yemenis, you would trade places with kids living under war and let them come live your life in America if you could. You know, this is how much we love our people and love our countries. So they don't they don't really understand that about us. They think if they make life difficult for us, we'll just forget 3,000 years of our history and bounce, and it ain't gonna work like that. So seeing the oppression of our people is also a way to see their deep strength. I love it. I love it, man. We're getting we're getting everything right now. now. And going back to like how they connect with one another, this is my personal opinion. I think comedians, uh, the best ones are the ones that are very educated, uh, because obviously you have to be on top of like everything. You know, you kind of have to know what's going on with this, that, that. So, and you base that off of your jokes. So you use that creativity side of it to like come up with jokes because you're educated on that topic and you kind of know what's going on. So I can see how being a law professor and a comedian. You know that kind of connects too because you know you, you know the law. Yeah, it definitely goes hand in hand. But you are a writer, and that is listed on your bio as well. So, what kind of writing do you do, and what is that like? Well, start out with a blog. I wrote. I, wrote, I started a blog called uh, the Civil Arab, and uh, this was before people were making videos and stuff. I was just I would write whenever I felt like it. If a current event happened or something like that, I would write, and then I compiled all those things into a book. And so I wrote a book uh, called "Being Palestinian Makes Me Smile." Um, I have another book coming out soon. I haven't decided what I'm going to call it yet, but it's either going to be called We're Not White or Where Are You From From, telling the stories of how we became white. And then some of the funny things that, you know, made me know that I wasn't white when I was a kid. You know, I mean, storytelling, writing is the best form of storytelling. And comedy starts with writing. I mean, everything starts with writing. So, you know, it's going to be a series of, of stories and history lessons about uh, Arab Americans and uh, how we got to where we are. And you know, I grew up around all white people. So I didn't grow up in Hamtramck or Detroit. I grew up in a little suburb of Philadelphia because that's where my dad got a job when we when we came here in uh, when I was three. And um, I was the, I mean, look at me. I was the darkest kid in my school, okay? It was very white. It was very white, okay? And um, you know, I always knew that I was different. You know, um, we just, we're, you know, we're different. I mean, you go to your white friend's house, like, I don't know if you, you guys, you guys haven't really grown up around white people. Let me, let me explain something to you, okay? I don't know. Uh, have, did you grow up? Well, we grew up in Hamtramck. Oh, because some Polish like a, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, Albania. Yeah. Not really white. Yeah, not like suburban yeah. white. No, 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 people. Yeah, okay. yeah, no. See, this is something, I don't know, Sara, I don't know if you know this about white people. Did you know that if you go to your white friend's house and his mom asks you if you're hungry, if you say no... That's it. She actually doesn't bring you anything to eat, mm -hmm. all right? It's the craziest-ish I've ever seen in my life, okay? They actually don't bring you anything. They start eating around you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you said you weren't hungry? And they start eating, <laughs> okay? I mean, this, they're just much more honest than we are, I guess. You know, we have this thing in our culture called mujamale, 
Yeah. You know, you never say you're hungry. If you walked into one of your Arab friend's house and you told his mom that you were hungry, and your mom found out that you were telling other moms that you were hungry? Biggest embarrassment. Oh, she would kick your ass. Yeah. I mean, you cannot walk around saying you're hungry, right. okay? But and but in our culture, you say you're not hungry with the full knowledge that they're gonna bring you food, yeah. okay? It's like we lie to each other because we love each other. This is just our culture. Like if someone's at your house and it's getting late and it's time to leave, you know, they get up to leave and what's your dad say? Oh, no. Yeah. Stay, so sleep over. You know, these are all lies, you know, but but everybody understands the game, okay? You know, it doesn't work with white people. So one day my dad invited our white neighbor over the house. It was getting late and the white guy got up and goes, you know, it's getting late, we should go. And my dad said, no, stay. And the white guy was like, oh, okay, fine. Here, we're staying. <laughs> and he sat back down. And like 10 minutes later, he's like, I really gotta go. My dad said, no, no, stay longer. And he said, okay, fine, you want me to stay, you know. <laughs> 10 minutes later, my dad said, get the hell out of my house. Don't you know in our culture, when it says stay, it means go. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we do things in our culture that let us know we're not what, you know, and, and, and you know, whether it's bargaining, whether it's directions, whether paying for the bill, <laughs> paying for the restaurant. Oh, yeah. You can't, this another, you can't be Arab around white people and you start to feel like you're like really? rejecting your culture. No, like, I okay, like I go out with my white friends sometimes, you know, and I, the bill comes, I'm like, I got it. They're like, oh, thanks. That's yeah, so yeah. nice of you. I don't know. You're supposed to fight. You're supposed to like offer, you know. And then, okay, I can, I can, I can like, I can like, like compromise my culture enough that we'll split it. Right. Because even splitting in our culture is like, you know, yeah. but I'll compromise enough that we'll split it. But you will go poor hanging out with these white people because every time they'll be like, oh, that's so nice of you. I can't believe Amir pays. Is she like in the lottery or something? She pays for dinner all the time. She always offers. They don't offers. know that I got to figure out how. <laughs> no, you got to like not eat. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, you can't be Arab around white people. You got to be careful sometimes. You're going to go broke. Well, uh, we appreciate you uh, answering these questions. And, yeah. You know, I feel like there's still some more coming along, though. Definitely. So. A lot of people do know you as a comedian, so we kind of went over the law professor thing, kind of went over the writing thing. Yeah. So, you know, what is it like, man, being a comedian, travel, things like that? Like, what is that like? Well, I'm very lucky, you know, I get to travel around the world. Um, you know, uh, I get to do comedy. We just filmed a comedy special in uh, Fortson High School like three months ago that we just finished editing, and hopefully we're going to put it out either on Netflix or Amazon, or maybe I'll just put it out on YouTube. Um, we're almost done with that. It should be out very soon. Uh, it's going to be called We're Still Not White. Um, and uh, and uh, we, uh, I, I, look, I'm very lucky. I just got back from a trip from uh, Dubai and Jordan where I did eight shows. They were all sold out. Um, it's just, I, I'm lucky. And, and Palestinians come uh, and Arabs come to my shows around the world. And, you know, because of my messaging, which is a lot about Palestine and struggle and, and Arab identity, I have a very dedicated following luckily and um you know i'm very lucky for that and uh, like i'll tell let me tell you a story about how dedicated my following is okay? yeah, yeah. a lot of times people ask me because because sada i have a blue check mark on instagram right. i got a blue blue check mark on facebook wow. okay i got hundreds of thousands of followers okay? so people say to me i'm at are you famous and i say you know what yes Yes, I am. I'm glad you said yeah, because I put famed comedian. That's right, I'm famous. Title. But I'm like specifically famous, okay? Like specific groups of people really, really like me, okay? 99% of the population might not know who I am. You know, Hollywood doesn't like me very much because I talk about Palestine. But that 1%, they are very dedicated to me. And they think I'm super famous, okay? Like the Yemeni community, especially in the last couple of years because of that clip that's been going around by the Yemeni, like every Yemeni person I meet. They're like, is that you? That you're the one? You know? They're shorter than me, so they're like, is that you? Are you the one that did the are you the one that did the thing? Was it you? <laughs> I mean they're they're original Arabs, you know. Yeah. This is how we all look. listen, if you want to know how Arab listen, in Palestine we got colonialism, we got the Crusaders came through there a little bit. So like a lot of people left their DNA. But that didn't happen in Yemen. Like people in Yemen looked like they looked two thousand years ago. And everybody two thousand years ago was a little smaller than they are today. Alright, so anyway. So um, people ask me if I'm famous, I say yes, but specifically famous. Okay, just specifically. Like if you're Palestinian, you might know who I am. If you're Arab American, you might know who I am. If you Google Arab Palestinian comedian, 
I'm all the results, okay? So when <laughs> when you like binge my videos and see me, you're gonna feel like you met somebody famous. Okay? Yes. But also a lot of the people that love me, they live under occupation, they live in refugee camps, but you know, they have phones too, you know? Yeah. Speaking of somebody famous, we're gonna have to have you sign a couple things before you walk out of here. I'll be, I'll be happy to. <laughs> so every year in Palestine, since 2015, I do a comedy festival. I take seven or eight comedians from America, we go to Palestine, we perform for a week, okay? In Ramallah, Bethlehem, and Jerusalem. For one week we perform. In 2016, I took this comedian friend of mine here from Detroit. Her name is Heather. She's black. She's really funny. She's not famous, but she's really, really funny. So we'd stay in a hotel in downtown Ramallah, me and all the comedians. We'd finish our shows every night, and then we had a tradition that every night we'd walk from the hotel to downtown Ramallah, and we would eat shawarma at the shawarma place. Delicious. So we all go down there one night, okay, a few nights into the festival, me and all the comedians. And we're eating shawarma, and then we walk out of the shawarma place, and there's this guy. You ever, you know what kakel utz is? Jerusalem kak, that circular bread with the mm -hmm. sesame seeds on it. And yeah. the hole too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beans. Big oval. Uh -huh, okay, uh -huh. that circular. The guy sells that on the cart every night. Mm -hmm. All right, outside the shawarma shop, and he saw me, and he recognized me. Oh, that's when you know you're famous. And he <laughs> said, uh, "I'm out." Oh my God, you are here, I love you, you are amazing. You, and Arabs do this thing that when they see me, they take out their phone and they start showing me my videos on their phone. You know this video, yeah, it's a great video. I'm like, yeah, I know. I was, there. I was in it. I was there. <laughs> so he's like selfieing with me, he's FaceTiming his friends. Oh, look at me, I'm with Ahmed, yeah. And all this time I'm looking at all the other comedians I brought from America, like see, right. I'm, Famous. <laughs> so I'm getting ready to leave this guy and I'll tell him, okay, I'll take it out of you. I'll see you later. I love you, man. And he grabs my arm. And he said, he said this to me in Arabic while saying English. He says, I'm one more thing. I said, what was it? And he said, can you introduce me to her? Heather? <laughs> and he pointed at Heather. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah. Of course, but for what? Why? <laughs> oh man! And he said, "Amir, I have lived my whole life here in Ramallah <laughs> under occupation, and every night I sell my bread in the street, <laughs> and I have never left Palestine in my life, and I never thought." I never imagined that I would see in front of me with my own two eyes Janet Jackson. Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. That's the only, probably the only So in this moment I had a very important decision. You're like, what do I do? Okay, but I knew what the right thing was to do. I looked at Heather and I was like, hey Janet! Because <laughs> he's taking a picture with Janet Jackson, all right? Oh That's my God. fan. Yeah. He's been living under occupation. He yeah. loves me. He's taking a picture with Janet Jackson. I'm not going to yeah. mess up his life, no. all right? And thank God he didn't speak English that good because he was just saying generic stuff to her, like, oh, we love you very much. You are amazing. Yeah. And in Arabic, he was like, Allah yirham Michael is al The point of the story is this I'm very famous. There you go. Okay. But. The people who think I'm famous, they also think all black women are Janet Jackson, okay? They haven't really traveled a lot in the world, okay? But here's the more important part, and this is why I'm very lucky, very lucky, Omar, this is why I'm very lucky to do what I do, is that the people who think I'm famous, they also think and love me so much, they think that I'm famous enough to be hanging out with Janet Jackson. Dude. Do you know how famous that is? Yeah. Look, you know how famous that guy thinks I am? You know how much he loves me? Like he yeah. saw his favorite Palestinine comedian, he said, that's Ahmed. Then he saw a black woman with him, he said, that must be Janet Jackson. Who else would that be with Ahmed in Ramallah on a Wednesday night at 11.30 eating shawarma other than Janet Jackson? There you, yeah. there you go. So what I'm trying to say is this. I, I talk about Palestine, I talk about Arabs, I talk about Muslims in my comedy. That means Hollywood don't like me that much. That means they're never gonna put me on TV, okay? Hollywood doesn't like me. But the bread guy in Jerusalem likes me, okay? And that's all that matters to me. And if I have to pick between Hollywood and the cock guy, I will pick the cock guy every day.
So that's the way that I live my life. Definitely, definitely. Especially, go ahead. No, I'm gonna say that I know, I'm sure you're used to this right now, but the crowd wants to give you a round of applause. Right? I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ramsey. <laughs> 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 yeah. hey, you better be careful because you crack too much joke. She ain't gonna stop laughing. No, She's gonna be laughing. Oh, that's, that's the idea. Um, you know, and just imagine, like, especially for the people that are going through so much, like, in the out of country that are, you know, and you're being the only highlight. You know what I'm saying? Not the only highlight, but a big highlight in their well, life. Hopefully, hopefully. Bringing and humor to their, you know, already you know, crazy life. You know, hopefully. That, and, um, you know, and the uh, people here, too. I mean, sometimes I get complaints. Like, I got, like, most of the, you know, from the Yemeni video, the Yemeni versus Lebanese girls video, which, by the way, made fun of Lebanese girls way more than I made know, fun of Yemeni girls. Okay? I mean, but I got a lot of, you know, some, some, some most ninety percent of the messages I got from Yemenis were supportive, yeah. but like the ten percent were like, you know, we are not, we don't do, do that all the time. We are not all cashiers. I'm like, oh, sorry, they were like, we are not all cashiers. <laughs> 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 yeah, they. It's, it's, I, I think so. Yes, I mean, you because, deal. It's okay. It's okay to deal with that kind of stuff. But yeah. we gotta laugh at ourselves, man. Yeah. You know what's so funny? That's what it is. That was my next question. I was like, why, you know, do you feel like it's important for people to laugh a little? Like, why Why do you feel like it is important for people to have a sense of humor and stuff like that? Well, first of all, laughter and... Listen, we have all seen somebody laugh so hard that they start crying. Yep. Right? But you can also sometimes see somebody crying so hard, they start laughing. Mm. That is true. Laughter and crying are not that different from each other. You know, comedy can come from tragedy. And, and we have lived tough lives. But why can we, as, as Yemenis, as Palestinians, as Arabs in America, why can we laugh about ourselves? Because we know that we're telling the truth. We know the truth resides with us. We know that we go to sleep every night, maybe our enemies, whether they're Israelis, whether they're, they're American right-wingers, whoever they are, they might have more power than us. They might have guns. Um, but I don't think they sleep real good at night. I know we sleep good at night. We might struggle all day, but we sleep good at night. It might be sad to be one of us one day, but we sleep good at night because we know the truth resides with us. When you know that's true, you can laugh about it. You can laugh about life and laugh about the crazy. Comedy is about pointing out the crazy things that happen in life and, and taking power from that, taking power away from your oppressor, you know? Like, you know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in Palestine, when I'm leaving, when you leave the airport in Tel Aviv and coming back to America, if you're a dude, especially, you line up with all the other Palestinian dudes and uh, you get extra search, okay? And we were there. It was me. I, there were two other Palestinian guys with me. It was me. Two other. I asked this one Palestinian guy. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a doctor. I said, this other Palestinian guy. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a PhD in engineering. I said, that's cool. And we're standing there. And like five minutes later, this like 25-year-old white, I don't know what he is, Russian, European, I don't know what he is, a Jewish kid comes over. He's working with security. And his job is to put on a glove, on a glove and stick his hands out our pants to see if we're hiding anything. Mm. Yeah, that's his job. Now, you might first look at that and be like, you know, that's a humiliating experience for us. And, you know, you could say that's a humiliating experience for us. But I'm a comedian. I travel around the world. I get to do all kinds of cool stuff. This other guy's a doctor. This other guy's a PhD. This poor little kid, that's his job. He sits in the airport every day and sticks his hands down people's pants. Mm. And you know what he finds? nothing never even finds any that's his job you understand that his country has convinced him that this is an important job to do for the security of his country and he finds nothing let me ask you something you have a son okay Ramzi. if Ramzi grew up and that was his job would you be proud of him no no that's not a good job right that's not a job you brag about right. that's not something that you say wow we're so proud of you for doing that I'm a comedian this guy's a doctor that guy's a PhD I'm proud of them uh, nobody can be proud of this guy but he's doing that because okay he has a little bit of power and he can make us stand in that line for a second but I mean if I'm about to go get on my business class flight back to America after performing for 10 sold out crowds in Palestine who's the winner right yeah not him he might have his hand down my pants but <laughs> hey I won't make any dirty jokes but anyway <laughs> yeah you know that so you have to be able to turn these things. And why can I turn that thing on its head like that? Because I know we're right. I know we have the truth. This is why they try to shut us up, okay? Like, like they try to shut down my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook. They try all the, they make complaints about me all the time. They try to hack me all the time. But there's only one reason if you want to shut up the other side. That's because you are lying. 
If you're not lying, you don't care what the other side says. This is why we are actually happy when they talk. Like, we want them to talk. Do you remember a year ago, there was an Israeli settler in Jerusalem that was caught on camera saying, if I don't steal it, somebody else will steal it? Okay? Like, we want them to, I want that guy to keep talking. Like, keep talking, bro. Let everybody know what you really feel. Okay? We want them to talk because we know their truth is messed up. They've been lying. We want them to talk. They want to shut us up because they know we're telling the truth. There's only one reason, okay? Like imagine if you if you had, you know, this you're Yemeni, so you won't be able to relate to this. But imagine you had dated a girl in your life, okay? <laughs> anyway, imagine you had dated a girl in your life, okay, and you cheated on her, and she knew you cheated on her, and you knew you cheated on her, and you you broke up. But two years later, you walk into a cafe and she's there. What are you gonna do? You're going to walk right out. You're not going to hang out in that cafe. You don't want to be there and have her start asking you questions and talking about you in front of all these people. You're going to walk right out. You want her to shut up. You don't want her to say anything. But she knows the truth. You want to get out. Okay? So this is the same thing that they try to do to us, to shut us up. And it's not working, thankfully, but there's only one reason you try to shut up the other side. See, that's the power of having the truth on your side. Like, look at Rashida, you know. We're about to vote, you know, in in, in this election. Everybody should go out and vote for Rashida. But um, four years ago, there was no Palestinians in Congress. And then we elected Rashida. Sada, how many members of Congress are there? Do you remember from your seventh grade American history class? Um, I believe I did Another Susan. Ramsey, do you know how many people are in the House of Representatives? (laughs) Wait, wait, 12? The American public school system is trash. Isn't it about population anyways? Is it 9 or 12? I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. Just be quiet. There are 435 members of the House. There's there's 13 in Michigan, but there's 435. I knew something like that. So anyway, 435. Okay? So four years ago, there was no Palestinians in Congress. Okay? Then we worked hard and we elected Rashida. Okay? And Rashida became one out of 435, one Palestinian out of 435. Now, because of this one Palestinian woman, the pro-Israel lobbies and all the pro-Israeli groups in the country changed everything that they do. They started having conferences. What do we do about Rashida? They started raising millions of dollars. We gotta get rid of Rashida. Over one person out of 435. Now, if you're strong, you don't care about one person out of 435. You only care about one person out of 435 if you're weak. If you're fragile, if you're insecure, if you're lying, if you know that it could all come crashing down at any point, that's why you get scared. That's the power of the truth. One person who is holding the truth can bring down the whole thing. And they know that because they're lying. Okay? So this is why we have to understand the truth is a very, very, very strong, beautiful thing. Yeah. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Um, are you, like, this opinionated Asian in your class as well? And if so... Um, like, does it bother any of your students? And where, where, do, you, where do you teach at, by the way? Detroit Mercy. Okay. Um, I teach at the law school at Detroit Mercy. Um, you know, in my classes, um, obviously, it's, you're, you're doing a lot more teaching about history and stuff, so you're, there's not as much... Um, time for opinions. Well, not time. I mean, there... Well, yeah, but you have to... You have to I'm, I'm, my objective is to teach them the history. Yeah. But history is never fully objective, okay? History has angles... And history has people who write it from different points of view. And so there is a sort of social justice aspect to the class, but not with it, it can't come without the academic historical aspect. Yeah. You can't just that's one of the problems with like Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and wokeism today, that people might say something I said and then not something I said, sorry, they might just like say a soundbite. And they, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an expert on this. No, no, bro. You have to learn the full history of everything you're talking about, yeah. you know, before you can come out with all of these things. So I always tell people, and, and that's what law, that's what teaching the law is, and that's what being an activist on anything is. You have to learn the whole history of everything, right? So that um, uh, when you focus in on one thing, you know, you don't, but you can answer questions about anything else. Like if, like this cake, if you're a master baker, okay, let's say, let's say, Sada, you were a master baker and you tasted this, okay, and something tasted off to you. Now, if you weren't a master baker, you would know that something was off. 
But if you were a master baker, you would know what was off. Too much baking soda, not enough sugar, too much flour. Because you understand everything else that's in that cake. That's the point. You need to understand everything else that's going on so that when you do focus in on one thing, you know what you're talking about. And someone can't distract you by saying, because if you if, if you say this is, if you don't know what you're talking about, you say, man, this tastes sweet. It must be too much sugar. And I go, well, you know, baking soda can make something sweet too. And then you go, oh, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, well, then now we don't care what you say anymore. Right. Okay? So yeah. you gotta always know every detail about what you're talking about before you start making arguments about it. That's what we teach people at law school. And that's what I would always want to teach young Arab uh, Arab Americans when you want. We got a lot of stuff to stand up for, but you got to have the history. And by the way, not every, not everyone needs to be an activist the way I'm an activist. Not, not every, there's no wrong way to be an Arab. There's no wrong way to support Palestine, support Yemen. You do it in your own way, you know? Maybe it's about sharing uh, Yemeni-owned businesses. In the, man, I mean, like, Yemeni, I, I live right up here, by the way. I live on Monroe and Outer Drive. I live right here. Okay, okay so it's like a two-minute drive here. But I mean, without telling everybody, yeah. okay, but, but but I but like this part of town used to be all white, okay, like and I've lived here for eleven years in this part of town. It was all white, not cause it was all white because. But <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, when I moved to Dearborn, close to Dearborn, well, well, no, because when I moved to Dearborn, I wanted to live in East Dearborn, but it was hard to find a house because Arabs scoop them up so quick in East Dearborn. So the only place you can find a house was in a white neighborhood, okay. So I found a house out of here, but now. We are starting to take over this part of town. Okay, we're starting to take over this part of town, and um, like this uh, Watan uh, supermarket right here. Yeah. It's called the Swat Watan, right? Yeah. That, that was, I don't know what that was, but two years ago it was like some white place, yeah. and now it's like pictures of dead lamb in the window, <laughs> yeah. like the whole thing like, straight up. For some reason, we like hanging pictures of dead animals. Yeah. Like, okay, we get it, bro. We know what you sell. We don't need to like. Okay, we understand. Um, but this whole area is becoming Arab now. Okay, and you need to understand like why why that's happening, and understand that we are rebuilding these communities. Okay, and understand all the history behind that, um, so that you can uh, be active and talk about how beautiful it is. You know, so I mean, we we I always encourage people understand what's going on around you from from a very macro point of view in the neighborhood that you live in, and also you know you can do it, but everyone can do it in a different way. If you just want to highlight and say, hey, man, I'm really proud of this Arab-American business that opened up here on Monroe and Carlisle, the first Arab-American business in this part of town. Maybe that's one way you highlight your culture. If somebody else wants to do it by, like, having some long uh, political analysis about what's happening in Yemen, okay, fine. That's not always the way you have to do it. So always do what you're comfortable with, right? And all, maybe big debates are not for everybody. And that's okay. But there's no reason to not be proud of your culture. Yeah. No reason ever to not be proud of your culture. Another way is to give a shout out to a nonprofit organization that donates 100% of their donations to Yemen, and that is Give to Gain. That is our second sponsor of yes. today. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of helped out. He was the assist man on that one. So, Give to Gain, like I mentioned, is a nonprofit organization that sponsors orphans in Yemen. Um, people are wondering why Yemen is the largest humanitarian crisis and aid operation. Five million people are at risk of famine. Fifteen million people need water, sanitation, support. So if you're looking to donate, their Venmo is at give number two gain, Zell 313-445-8638, or their cash app is the money symbol, give number two gain. Shout out to Rico and everyone else over there at give to gain. Uh, Qamar Zindani chimed in, shout out to Qamar, she was also a friend of the podcast, said salam, Eid Mubarak, and welcome Ahmed. So she wants to give you a shout out as well. Believe it or not, all right, I'm a man of my word, right? It is 7 o'clock, okay? Mm. So I know. So I want to just maybe fly through these. It's up to you, though. I mean, I don't no, know. We'll, we'll, do like, uh, we'll do lightning rounds. Yes, okay. all right? <laughs> Dubai, you just returned from it. How was that? Dubai is very interesting. It's not a very new city. It's a old, it's a, I mean, sorry, it's not a very old city. It's a new city. I don't know if you've ever been there before. And 40 years ago, it was a desert. Now it's like 50,000 skyscrapers. It's a wonderful Arab achievement. Okay, uh, it's beautiful that we can build this city this quickly. It shows that Arabs can be organized when we want to. And um, they did a great job there. I'm not happy with the political decisions they've made to normalize with Israel. That's very wrong. We wish they didn't do it. Uh, but uh, it's a wonderful Arab achievement. And the people there, you know, um, you know, they're only 10% of the population is Emiratis. The rest of the population is Arabs from different places and people from all around the world. So it's a very cosmopolitan place. And I went there because I was invited by some of our Palestinian community that lives there. And it was a great time. And I was also in Jordan during that time, too. Did uh, four sold-out shows in Jordan and four sold-out shows in uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Nice. Yeah, definitely, definitely awesome. And I haven't uh, been to Yemen yet. I can't wait to go to Yemen to do a show. 
together? Yeah, let's you do know, it. You know, I, I say I would never go back, but if you come, you'll make me laugh the whole entire I time. I will. I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I mean, I hope enough people understand English. I think enough people understand English that I can do a show there. And, um, you know, people can be like, that's, you're so funny. I mean, sorry, they'll be like, you're so funny. <laughs> and even if they don't understand you, I could just, like, do those buttons that make, like, that says applause. Clap. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, believe it or not, we're down to our last couple. And I just wanted to say, like, obviously, you seem like a person who has followed his dreams. Yes. Um, I could be wrong, but I feel like that's what it is. So, I guess what advice would you give to someone that has a hard time chasing or following their dreams? And before you answer that, I'm so sorry. I know you mentioned before you said that when you graduated, you didn't practice law, right? You went yeah. straight into. So you went through the school, like you know, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that you go to college at least. Everybody, okay. um, you know, uh, but look, being an artist is a hustle. I mean, I didn't make any money for the first two years that I was doing it. You know. But uh, now I have a house and I drive a Audi and I have. Uh, so uh, I'm famous. Yeah. Okay, I can give you seven cameras. Okay, so anyway, so um, we, I, I encourage people. Look, find out what you're good at. Everybody's really good at something. You might not be good at the thing you want to be good at. I don't know, but you're good at something. Yeah. And find out what it is and make that your brand and your niche and your life. Maybe it's comedy. Maybe it's building furniture, maybe it's podcasting, I don't know what it is, but you're good at something, and find out what it is, and then market yourself in that way. That might end up being a nine to five job, it might end up being a job where I only work a couple hours a week, but I'm preparing the other 40 hours for those couple hours. So, you know, um, I encourage people to follow their follow their dreams, but go to college, not because, and it's not some, some corny thing like, go to, first of all, Arabs, we need to have college degrees. So if you can afford it, go to college get that college degree because first of all you never know what's going to happen in life that's number one but also i want us to always know what we're talking about and you are a totally different person when you graduate from college at 22 or 23 than you are when you entered when you're 18. like those four years are supremely important yeah and so everybody needs to go to college and you know we have enough doctors so i would like us to have more lawyers journalists um that kind of thing i mean you know the doctor thing i mean it's all because of the Caribbean, man. They open up those med schools in the Caribbean, all of a sudden, every hour is like, my son can be a doctor. Okay, but it's like University of Kokomo. Like, I don't know if that, <laughs> does that count? Oh, man. That is true. That is true. <laughs> they should name an island after us in the Caribbean. We've put millions of dollars down there. There you go. All right. So, yeah, follow your dreams, but have a foundation. There you go. I like that. And then, really, my last one, I know you kind of gave us some already uh, throughout the show, but do you have anyone's funniest jokes that you have or... You know, Yemeni jokes. No, you know, I, mean, jokes. I mean, you know, I, I, it's always it's always hard as a comedian when someone is like telling me a joke. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> I mean, when I'm stuff. talking, I'm always using comedy when I talk. So I hope I told a few jokes even by accident today. You know, but um, you know, I'm I'm just thankful for the following that I have. You know, we did this show in Fortson. Fortson is uh, 700 people to fill it up, and we did the show and it sold out. You know, we'll see the videos soon. That birthday video was a clip from that show. You, were t- you saw yeah. that birthday thing, yeah, this yeah. clip from that show. And we're putting out a lot more uh, clips from, from that show. But just everybody out there, you know, I love you all. I'm proud. That's, we always, I did it in the show, and we have to just make sure that we always support each other and tell each other that we're proud of them, just like I'm proud of the three of you for doing what you're doing. I love you. Keep doing what you're doing, okay? Yes, yeah, since uh, you're uh, verified, I got to take a picture with you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, is that because, like, you want to try to get verified? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. sure. No, she wants to, you know, be known that she knows someone famous. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah. Maslaha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but we always we have to support each other because it's hard being one of us, uh, but it is also the most beautiful thing in the world. So uh, let's support each other when you are around fellow Arabs. Tell them that you love them and that you're proud of them. Okay, because we all need that in our lives, you know. And and stay safe. There's still this COVID stuff going on. Like, I I had COVID, you know, a year ago. But that's how I know I'm not white. Okay, here, you want a joke? Not a joke. This, <laughs> the one way I know I'm not white is because I had COVID and I did not lose my taste and smell. Okay? Because we've been eating spices our whole life. It's going to take a lot more than COVID <laughs> for us to lose enough. our taste and smell. Like, this is why COVID hits white people so hard. Because if, like, loss of taste and smell is the first sign of danger, then how do white people even know that they have COVID? 
They haven't been able to taste some small stuff. Have you tasted white food? Have you gone down like the aisles? And the, they have this like uh, this aisle in the supermarket called like International Aisle, yeah. but it's really just spice packets because white people don't know how to spice their food. Taco spice packets. There's something called Hamburger Helper. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah. Hamburger Helper is a spice packet. My mom would die if she ever bought Hamburger Helper. Are you kidding me? My mom, hamburger. I help the hamburger. <laughs> I don't need help for the hamburger. And so, like, you ever open up a white person's spice cabinet? It's like salt, pepper. No, it's salt, pepper, and everything bagel spice. That's basically all they have. Okay? You ever open up your mom's spice cabinet? 75 bottles of brown powder, unlabeled. They're unlabeled, exactly and she knows, and she's like, get me the kamun. I'm like, which one is the kamun? She's like, third from the back, fourth in from the left. I'm like, how do you know? I can smell it from here. I can smell it. So we have a beautiful culture, and we got to protect it and talk about it and love it all the time. But we were just... Oh, good. The crowd. Ramsey wanted to clap again for everyone. Ramsey! Go ahead. No, we were just saying before, we are like... How the heck did we get him to come today? Like we were like, who are we to have him come on our show? So we are definitely proud of you and like oh, feel you know very um, honored honored to be well, in your presence. No, no, I'm, I'm proud of you guys. You keep do, keep doing what you're doing, and uh, we'll find ways to work together more. Inshallah, and uh, shout out to again Iman Ahmed. We thank you as well for helping this connection. We appreciate you for coming on. Uh, again, this was episode 42 of the Table Talk podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. For those that watched or will watch it later, um, you know, you know, we got this guy in the building, and you know, it's no joke. Uh, you can watch the show on YouTube under Oz Media, or you can listen to it later um, Apple and Spotify podcast under Oz Media. Any last final things you want to say? Close it out. I mean, I know you kind of gave us a shot. No, just this show is brought to you by all the Yemenis of Michigan <laughs> and Hamtramck and Dearborn, especially Abdus Salam and Hakim Muntasar and Harat and Mansour Yemeni, and especially Abdus Salam and Muntasar and Harat and Mansour Yemeni. Those are both of our producers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The show is produced by. Yeah. There you guys go. Hope you all enjoy it, and you guys be good, be safe, like he said and we'll see you all next week.